Welcome back to the Jacob Wool Show, episode 16 here, coming to you about oh, 24 hours late and a little bit of change here. Uh, obviously, uh, had to delay this show. Was going to try to transport the equipment into uh, Cleveland yesterday and, and do it on the go, as I've done sometimes over the last several years, uh, between this show and the show on Censored.TV called Man Up with Jacob Wool, uh, which aired uh, began airing in 2020. But uh, nonetheless, we're here. We have a lot of news to discuss. Uh, obviously, an eventful week for me. Uh, I wish there was more to say about uh, what happened in Cleveland, uh, but it's just not appropriate for me to comment on it at this very moment. At this very moment. Uh, whatever you who have been watching for a long time think might be what I have to say is probably what I have to say. Uh, but you will find out in the near future uh, what's going on there. I think that, you know, the overall atmosphere in the country right now informs these sort of actions, informs what uh, the government is doing right now. Uh, you saw just last week Steve Bannon sentenced to four months in federal prison and a $6,500 fine. Uh, for contempt of Congress. This was in the District of Columbia, a federal judge there. The sentence uh, was thankfully stayed by Judge Nichols pending the appeal of the verdict that Bannon is bringing. So an unfortunate sentence there for Bannon for contempt of Congress uh, that just was laid down. Of course, we reported on the $956 million judgment that was brought against Alex Jones uh, in Connecticut, in connection with what he said uh, on the Sandy Hook uh, mass shooting, well, you know there was a case to be made that if you if you look at that judgment and you were to say, well, that's against one person, then then it might be considered uh, unprecedented in size and scope. Now, if you compare the Alex Jones judgment, the nine hundred and fifty six million dollar judgment, to the judgment that was laid down against Gawker. Do you remember the Gawker case, Hulk Hogan? Uh, they, I guess, apparently got a hold of his sex tape and then they released it and uh, he sued them for defamation. The, the suit was backed by Peter Thiel and ultimately he won, putting Gawker out of business. Well, if you look on a per-plaintiff basis, the judgment for $956 million against Alex Jones uh, was was less than that that was laid down against Gawker in the case of Hulk Hogan. It was less on a per-plaintiff basis. And you can make an argument about uh, who was more damaged. Was it Hulk Hogan, uh, who had a sex tape aired about him, or was it the Sandy Hook families, who, uh, of course, have, have become the subject of wild, unhinged, bizarre conspiracy theories. Uh, I remember somehow I was introduced to one of these people before uh, who was one of the chief conspiracy theorists on the Sandy Hook issue. He's also been sued by them. A guy named Dr. James Fetzer. And, and Dr. James Fetzer was a guy who was a, by all indications, well-reputed professor in the Midwest on uh, issues of computation, that whole world of computer science. And then 
at some point kind of went off the rails and became a hardcore conspiracy theorist. And I met with this guy and, and, um, I didn't really know who he was. He, he, he offered to take me out for lunch, uh, in Orange County, California. And I, and I just was astounded. He really did believe all these things he was saying, or at least as far as I could tell he did. So you can make an argument about who was actually more damaged. Now, of course, all of this is sort of a moot point because uh, Alex Jones doesn't have, by all indications, $956 million to hand over to these families. Gawker did not have $140 million to hand over to Hulk Hogan. Last I checked, they just went out of business bankruptcy situation. Uh, Alex Jones is currently in a personal bankruptcy uh, procedure and a business bankruptcy procedure to protect what little he has left uh, from these judgments. But just recently, uh, the families have asked the judge to increase the judgment handed down by the jury even further. Uh, They have asked uh, that the judge raise the judgment to $2.75 trillion. They, through counsel, have asked that the judgment be raised to $2.75 trillion. No, that is not a fake headline. That is not from the Babylon Bee or from the Onion. Uh, That is a real headline. Now, you can imagine in the position of these families that they have uh, perhaps righteous indignation against Alex Jones. They have rage against Alex Jones, contempt for Alex Jones. They have uh, endured costs uh, they feel exclusively at the hands of Alex Jones, or maybe not exclusively because they've sued people like Fetzer as well. And so in the position that they're in, the costs they've endured, the damages that they have suffered, uh, they say, well, we're not going to get anything of the $956 million anyway. We can sue for it. Uh, we can try. But if the money's just not there, then it's just not there. You may collect $2 million broken up among 13, 14 plaintiffs, uh, you know, it's not going to make much of a difference. And so they say to themselves, well, since we're not getting anything anyway, let's go back to the judge and uh, let's ask for the maximum. Let's see how that is going to work out. Well, You know, the issue with that and what their lawyers probably should have advised them of is that the general public is going to look at something like that and say $2.75 trillion. um, If you come out with a number like that, all you're going to do is uh, look like a bunch of two-bit hucksters because uh, nobody has $2.75 trillion, not Apple, not IBM, no company on earth, um, no no country on earth has $2.75 trillion of liquid assets in reserve that I'm aware of. Even the, the Gulf nations, the Saudis have like $600 billion or something, not even close to $2.75 trillion. Uh, it is such a multiple on the original $956 million, of course. What would that be? Uh, uh, basically 2.75 thousand times as much or something like that. It's just something that seems so absurd on its face that it's not a good idea to ask for it. That's probably uh, what this is representative of here. And, And that's the direction they're going. So you can see the overall atmosphere in the country. You can see that what is happening is that 
one side is rallying the courts against the other side to an extreme degree. And they are using courts, they are using prosecutors, they are using lawsuits, they are using juries, they are picking out uh, which areas that they file things in very carefully, they're venue shopping to make sure that they have juries that are going to rule in their favor. And it's happening uh, relentlessly, from the case of Steve Bannon to all of the January 6th defendants who have been, uh, in so many cases, rounded up, charged federally for crimes as pedestrian, almost literally speaking, as trespassing, brought in, charged, no uh, bail in so many cases, uh, thrown in prison, their lives destroyed. And I'm not talking about, you know, folks who uh, went in and and, uh, assaulted police officers. You know, in in the cases of people assaulting police officers, those are are cases that are always brought by prosecutors, uh, depending on the area, the part of the country, A case like that can actually be a misdemeanor. This would be a federal-level offense because it's on federal property, so it would be a felony. Uh, And so it is uh, is really uh, something here to watch, to witness. Yeah, Apple's market cap isn't even $2.75 trillion, right? And if you were to liquidate the company, then even if the market cap were that high, it would quickly become nothing. You could never liquidate it for the entire market cap anyway. Uh, So... It is just uh, really beyond the pale. It's, it's really something to watch. And uh, it continues to develop, continues to develop, and, and, and we'll see what all comes of it. Uh, we are live here on YouTube, by the way. I see your comments streaming in. We're on podcast apps everywhere just after that. But I want to talk here about uh, Elon Musk's planned acquisition of Twitter. Uh, there was a report that came out originating in the Washington Post in the last week which basically suggested that that Elon Musk was speaking to the financers of this deal and that in speaking to them, he revealed that what he planned to do was fire 75% of Twitter's approximately 7,500 employees. Now, I think for better or worse, Musk seems to be somebody who knows how to run a tight ship, who knows how to run things fairly efficiently. Uh, if you look at uh, Tesla, the amount of operational expenses, the growth in the, the the expenses and the capital expenditures versus the growth in revenue has been something that's been very impressive. It has rivaled the best-run companies in the world from that standpoint. Done so with a little more debt, mind you, but has, has done quite well at it. And he doesn't feel that you need 7,500 employees. You should also keep in mind that a Twitter has a great number of contractors. And so uh, there's talk that he's closing the deal Friday, uh, that is some discussion. Uh, Bloomberg has reported that, as somebody points out here in the chat. We'll see uh, if that comes together. And then we'll see what ultimately happens, You know how he's really able to uh, rein in this company, which has become a total haven for censorship at the expense of the company's success. I mean, I think you have to remember something here. At the time that Elon Musk tries to take over Twitter, the stock had essentially done nothing since 2013. I mean, you have to think about that from the standpoint of, of, of the markets, from the standpoint of a company moving forward in the world. Presumably, if you're a publicly traded company, your goal is to grow. Now, there are cases of publicly traded companies that don't do anything for years. A lot of times they're commodity companies, they're kind of dying retail companies, situations like this. But you're dealing with a high-tech company here. 
that is one of the main social media networks in the entire world. You have Facebook, which owns Instagram. You have TikTok. You have Snapchat and you have Twitter. And these are your big social media platforms. You've got, you know, over on the side, Reddit, and you have Pinterest, which are kind of more so blogging platforms than they are uh, social media in the traditional sense. It's one of the largest media companies in the world, really, if you're honest about it. It is the clearinghouse for news throughout the entire world. And yet, from 2013 to now almost 2023, the company's stock is stagnant. You know, it goes up a little bit. The the Trump bump, when Trump started getting involved, running for president, he brought a lot of fervor to that platform. He was kind of viewed before as somebody who, who would send out kind of funny tweets and he'd get, you know, 6,500 likes or something. And then it becomes this, this even more central platform. And yet still, years later, the company has not increased its enterprise value. Now, part of that comes because uh, you have seen a compression in what the prices of online ads are. The premium that you can charge for online ads has gone lower and lower and lower because uh, attention online is more commoditized. There's a lot of schemes that take place as far as attributed traffic. And basically, the other part of this is that people have sort of built-in ad blockers. You, know, you talk about how people will run an ad blocker on their browser so that they don't see an ad. Well, even in the absence of, of real ad blockers that block an ad through the actual software, through the technology, people mentally, when they look through the internet, they just, in this day and age, they don't click on ads. I mean, when's the last time that you clicked on a banner ad and bought something? Maybe it's been recently, but I, I, speaking for myself, I, I can't think of any time recently that that's ever happened. When's the last time you, you can remember seeing a banner ad and even taking note of it? Even taking note that it was there. Most of the time you see an ad online and if anything, you're going to be less likely to buy the product because they have to engage in sort of increasingly aggressive tactics to kind of force you to see that ad, force you to watch it. It pops up, it blocks the content you're trying to see. It annoys the hell out of you and you say, I don't want to buy that. That's been increasingly the case. And so... I think for most people, uh, the idea that, that, that online ads are going to, to, to get them to buy something is, is low. Now, Instagram has done it very well, uh, particularly in marketing um, clothing and very visual-centric products to women, but also men, uh, but I'd say more so for women. Uh, native advertising, they've done a good job of it. Uh, Instagram has. But most of these platforms in essence, have seen the effectiveness, including Instagram, of these ads go down lower and lower and lower year over year over year, and thus the prices they charge have gone down as well. And so it is, um, you know, you see here uh, Matthew Hayden in the chat says, also after you buy something, you still get ads long after your purchase. Waste of ad. Yeah, that's the problem too with this old, you know, kind of antiquated technology of cookies and things like this. In fact, what you'll see is, like if you buy a pair of shoes, they'll keep advertising to you that exact model of shoe in the same color. And it's like, well, maybe there's another model of shoe from that same brand you would like, but why would you want to see that same shoe in that same color? The, the chance you're going to buy two of the exact same shoe is, is low. 
I've actually done that once because I liked a pair of shoes so much and I, I was worried the brand would stop making them. It's very hard to find shoes in my size. I wear a size 15 shoe and so it's uh, it's a nightmare to buy shoes. I mean, sometimes I'll go to a mall and they won't have one set of 15s in the whole mall. Nordstrom Rack usually have a couple. Whether they're shoes that would actually you know like to wear or not is is besides the point. And so it is something that you see out there. It is really something that um, is, is killing advertising. The iOS updates, as somebody points out, at the top of the year, killed uh, effectively killed advertising. Yeah, well, they they stopped you know allowing the kind of tracking across the apps that was taking place. Where, let's say you have TikTok, you close out of TikTok, it's not even open in the background, as far as you know. You go over to your browser, you search something in your browser, TikTok still somehow sees that. And, and scrapes that data out from within your phone, even though you don't even have TikTok open, tracks it across the other app, loops it in, and then advertises to you there. Well, this kind of uh, stuff, this kind of practice, uh, it, it kind of led people to say, well, TikTok very clearly has something that approximates spyware. I mean, in the old days, there'd be something called spyware. You know, you had spam, spyware, viruses, things that would get onto your computer, your PC, and they'd spy on you. Well, TikTok really appeared to be spyware in the way that it worked, and people said that's suspicious. Now, Instagram still denies that they will listen to your microphone, which is bullshit. It's just complete lies from, from Mark Zuckerberg, complete lies from Facebook and others who have come out and said, Instagram doesn't listen to you and then advertise. It doesn't do that. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I can go and sit there and talk to somebody who has Instagram on their phone about an incredibly niche pharmaceutical drug for recovery of third-degree burns or for... Uh, the treatment of rare kidney cancer, or, or, or you name it, something they never need, something they've never looked up, something they've never looked up on for anyone else or looked up anything similar at any time, anywhere, ever. And what happens? They get an Instagram ad for that pharmaceutical drug. They've never Googled it. They've never typed it into their phone. They've never asked Siri about it. Nothing. And it pops up. So don't sit here and, and just, you know, it's just Mark Zuckerberg gets up there and just insults all of our intelligence. Just treats us all like a bunch of goddamn morons and says, we don't listen to your conversations with the Instagram app. We don't do that. No, maybe it's because your friend typed that into his phone and you're in the same location. I heard a guy say this recently, too, who was a guy who worked at Facebook, started an ad tech company. No, it's probably because he looked it up and you guys are on the same Wi-Fi network. Bullshit. And I, and I don't normally curse on this show, but I, I'm just sick of these, these tech nerds insulting our intelligence, pretending we're a bunch of idiots and telling us, we don't listen. Nonsense. You do. You absolutely do. You listen and then you serve up ads through the app. Now, what's amazing is and you know this, I'm banned from Instagram, I'm banned from Facebook. I don't have Facebook or Instagram on my phone. I do not have those apps on my phone at all. I haven't in two years. 
And it's amazing. When you don't have the Instagram app on your phone, you don't get listened to. You don't see all these other things that, have, that you've, you've been listened to all over the internet that they've served up through data brokers, and now they serve you on this website and that website. When you don't have their software on your iPhone, you don't get that stuff. It doesn't happen. Because this stuff is so clearly spyware. Uh, this guy says, uh, 15, how tall are you? I'm six foot four. Um, it's just the damnedest thing. I mean... It's like my feet just kept growing. When I was a kid, it was like, okay, I give her 12s, I wear 13s, I wear 14s, uh, I wear 15s. It's like 14s don't fit anymore. I remember telling my parents, I'm like, the shoes don't fit. They're like, they're size 14. What do you mean they don't fit? I said, they don't fit. They're too small. Where the hell do we get size 15 shoes? A lot of companies, that's the biggest size they make is 14. They don't really make 14 and a half. Yeah, it's, it's really something to find. Uh, with certain dress shoe brands, I can fit into a 14. Certain dress shoes that run large, I can fit a 14 with, you know, because you're wearing very thin dress socks. But pretty much everything else, like I, wear, I have to wear 15, sometimes even a size 16 if the shoes run small. It's, uh, I got a couple shoes that are in a 16 because they run a little small. It's just, sometimes you just walk into a shoe store, you say, you guys wouldn't happen. And you, and you know, you say, you guys wouldn't happen to have any size 15s to you. And they just start laughing. See, what do you think we are? What does this look like to you? It's just, it's something. So you end up going to Nordstrom Rack. You end up going to, uh, you end up going to uh, the outlet stores and, you know, looking online. But sometimes even online, they don't have them. Or, or they say they have them in size 15. You order them. No, it says in stock, ready to go. You pay for the shipping. You order them. And then you're like, where's my shoes? And they say, oh, well, they're back ordered. You're like, well, you said they were in stock. Oh, well, they're size 15s. I'm like, yeah, but it's like, well, we don't sell shoes to giants, sir. What do you need? And you're like, how about a refund? Okay, fine. You know, but it's just, yeah. So, oh yeah, YouTube does a little bit of the audio tracking too. I have seen that. They do a little bit of it. Absolutely. With the suggested videos based on something you said. Yes, the YouTube app does it. They absolutely do. They absolutely do a little bit of it. It's not nearly what Instagram is. Um, so, you know, it is um, really something. It is really something, you know. Um, yeah, the Google ad tech is, you know, top notch, obviously. But now TikTok, of course, you know, their specific tactics that appeared to be spyware really... It, it, it rose the suspicions of a lot of people who said this is a Chinese spy app. Well, now, uh, for the first time, we have kind of smoking gun evidence of that in the form of this report from uh, Forbes here. And if this report is to be believed, then it's, it's very disturbing. Uh, the report from Forbes is titled, TikTok Parent ByteDance Planned to Use TikTok to Monitor the Physical Location of Specific American Citizens. So they were going to use the app to pick out specific American citizens and monitor their location uh, individually. So uh, the, the Forbes report says that the team behind this was ByteDance's internal audit and risk control department. This is the parent company of TikTok. It is led by Beijing-based executive Song Yi, who reports to ByteDance co-founder and CEO 
Rubo Liang. The team primarily conducts investigations into potential misconduct by current and former ByteDance employees. But in at least two cases, the internal audit team also planned to collect TikTok data about the location of a U.S. citizen who had never had an employment relationship with the company, the materials show. Now, Forbes doesn't say who this exactly is. They know, but they say, you know, for privacy reasons, we're not going to say who that American is. Uh, but the point is, you know, it, it, it is a situation in which if you are the U.S. Secretary of Defense, if you're a U.S. Senator, you know, you may not have TikTok on your phone, but your kid does. And now, you know, they know who your kid is. They have all the all of this data, and now China, through the through the child's location, can track the U.S. Secretary of Defense, their family, wherever they go, or they can track a you know flag officer at the Pentagon wherever they go, or they can track any number of people wherever they go from China from a distance, just with a simple iPhone app. So the reality is the TikTok application, outside of all the other issues of the app is an app which is functioning as Chinese spyware. And it has for a long time. You have to remember that Facebook is no fan of TikTok. They've been trying to take down TikTok. They have planted negative media story after negative media story about TikTok in an effort to take down TikTok. And this could be one of those efforts. They've lobbied the government to take down TikTok. Trump was very close to banning TikTok in the latter part of his presidency. Uh, and now TikTok is reportedly close to signing a contact with the Treasury Department's Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, also known as CFIS, which evaluates national security risks posed by companies of foreign ownership. Uh, President Biden signed an executive order enumerating the specific risks that CFIS should consider when assessing companies of foreign ownership. The order, uh, which states that it intends to emphasize the risks presented by foreign adversaries' access to data of United States persons, focuses specifically on foreign companies' potential use of data for surveillance, tracing, tracking, and targeting of individuals or groups of individuals of potential adverse impact on national security. All of that basically means, uh, are they using American data to target American citizens and harm the United States' national security? Traditionally, to give you some background, traditionally CFIS has been a, uh, a, a U.S. government body which has been focused on, say, you have a Russian company that wants to buy up a uranium mine in the U.S. The last time you heard a lot about CFIS in the news was probably 2015-16 concerning the Uranium One story and Hillary Clinton. She had some poll over at the CFIS board, allegedly because of donations to the foundation, she uh, allowed a very uh, troubling deal to go through uh, with Cephas using her influence because of those donations concerning the company Uranium One. That's the allegation. No one's ever been charged. No one's ever uh, even had anything adjudicated in a civil setting concerning that. Uh, what's true and what's not with it, frankly, even if I knew it's been such a long time since I dealt with that story, wrote about it, heard about it, that it'd be hard to say. The most uh, light of day that's ever seen in a courtroom has been a couple of miscellaneous uh, nut jobs filing their own private uh, civil RICO lawsuits, which are just a, a, a total waste of time. Anytime you see RICO suit filed, anytime you see a story that says RICO suit filed, lawsuit filed, you need to be, you need to just ignore it because it is something that's done mostly by 
nutcases on the right side of the aisle, mostly by right wingers, uh, suing you know kind of high profile people like Hillary Clinton and saying we're Im- imposing a federal RICO suit here, and then websites like the Gateway Pundit, which I used to write for, and I wrote a story about one of these once at their request, will say, write about this. And they want the headline to read, uh, Clinton faces uh, RICO action in federal court because they're trying to make you think, oh, wow, the DOJ has, has, has acted. She's going to jail for the Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organizations uh, Act. Uh, the Racketeering Corrupt, uh, uh, what is it? Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organizations Act, RICO. You know what RICO is, nonetheless. It's, it has to do with vast criminal conspiracies targeted towards organized crime, targeted towards specifically the Italian mob when it first came out, used very seldom in court because it is a, it's a tough thing to prove. It's like if, if you want to um, charge somebody with conspiracy to launder money, charge them with conspiracy to launder money. If it's conspiracy to, to, to smuggle drugs, charge them with that. But the idea you charge them with RICO, it just, it becomes a very, tough thing to do it it was it was done so that you could basically charge mob bosses with murder more easily when they are said to have ordered someone else to carry out a murder but anyway what people do is they pull out this law they file lawsuits under it the lawsuits are always thrown out of court it's it's a big it's a big attention getter is what it is and that is the only the point is here this is a roundabout way it's it's good for you to know to, to look out for this when people file these cases uh, but it is something that uh, you hear about from time to time, and it's the only thing that has ever been brought into court concerning the Uranium One deal. So, Twitter deal was going to trigger a CFIS review. Yeah, that might have been uh, Elon Musk trying to get out of the deal through that, by the way. I want to cover this story here. It appears the middle class is dying in the United States. Dying in the United States. Uh, have you seen uh, this story? This is out of Zero Hedge. Uh, it's not originally written by them. It says the middle class is dying. 50% of American workers made less than 31,133 a month last year. Uh, this was originally authored by Michael Snyder over at themostimportanttimes.com. That is uh, where it originally aired. Uh, the report says inflation is systematically destroying our standard of living, and the middle class is shrinking a little bit more with each passing year. The Social Security Administration released wage statistics for 2021, and the numbers that they have given us are quite stunning. As you will see below, half of American workers made less than $31.33 a month last year. That's $3,133 a month. Once upon a time, you could live a very comfortable middle-class lifestyle on $31.33 a month. But thanks to inflation, such a wage now puts you just barely above the poverty level. The decisions that our leaders have been making are quite absolutely eviscerating for the middle class. Well, uh, you can see here some of this data. It is uh, really, really remarkable. Uh, you can you can look at some of this data. It says here, more than 30% of American workers made less than $20,000 last year. So I just want to, you just take that into account, Okay. Less than $20,000 last year. So that is less than $2,000 a month. Um, I don't know if that's gross. I assume that's gross income. So that's before any kind of taxes. Now, somebody making that little is not going to pay a great deal in taxes. And in fact, they are going to uh, extract 
uh, money from government in most cases. They're going to be on some kind of public benefit uh, supplement of, of some kind, whether it be food stamps, whether it be subsidized housing, phone bill, something. So uh, it is uh, really, really um, you know, a, a bad situation. But you think about that, 30% of all American workers, maybe less than 20,000. So you have to be thinking, okay, so if they made less than 20,000, and that means less than, that doesn't mean made 20,000. The the amount of productivity, and of course you have mismatches, you have situations where people make 2,000 a month and they generate, you know, they generate uh, 20,000 for their company. But generally speaking, uh, the margin is that an employee has to basically produce something like uh, a margin of of three x to four x, depending on the profession. So, in the white collar world, you pay somebody a hundred thousand; they have to generate four hundred thousand in revenue, directly or indirectly. That's what they have to do. Uh, in the in the blue collar world, it can be as little as three x. Sometimes it's even less than that. Um, if it's something like a truck driver, they might generate even one point two x. So you pay them 60, they generate, you know, maybe 80, uh, net, net, all of that. So it is a it is a situation where they are generating very little productivity, and that's 30% of the country. So 30% of American workers, uh, they're, they're workers, they're in the workforce. And on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis, they generate such a small amount of value that they're making less than $20,000 throughout the entire year. That's amazing. How do people survive off that? I don't I don't know. I assume there's a lot of money that then comes in from government. I don't think anybody really survives off that unless you live in a very rural place where your where your rent is $400 a month or something. And I don't even know to what degree that even exists any longer. I don't know to what degree that even exists. But then you live in a place like that, there's not much to do. You know, that was the thing about Tennessee. I, I hit the Tennessee Republican governor because he came out talking about all these jobs they created. Well, there was a time in that state where like 80% of the jobs that were currently on offer in Tennessee were $20,000 a year or less. Um, in fact, and I want to see if I can pull up this story here, um, if I can find it. I'm going to see if I can find it here uh, just to give you an idea of what I was talking about here. Okay, let's see here. Let's see if I can find this here. Um, let's see here. I'm just trying to find if I can if I can find this in my uh, notes here because it, it is worthy of, of knowing the actual number here. Is this it? Uh, this might be it. 64. Uh, let's see here. I'm just trying to see if I can find this uh, this number. But it was like most of the jobs were like uh, $20,000 or something in, in, in the whole state. Um, it was just really, really remarkable. Yeah, it was like 20000 Most of the jobs were $20,000 or less. So it's just it just shows you that there, there are these problems. So you, you move to a place because it's cheap, okay, but then you find out why it's cheap very quickly. You find out why it's cheap, and the reason it's cheap is because there's no money there. There's no opportunity. There's no way to make very much money. 
And then you're stuck there. Then you have to figure out how to get the hell out of there and get someplace else. And that's not easy because the other place you're not, you're not ratcheted into. And so you don't have a security deposit down. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have a network. So then getting out of the uh, low paying place and getting from there to a high paying place is particularly difficult. Easy to leave someplace and say, wow, it's really cheap over there. Much harder to go from the cheap place to the expensive place. Much harder. Much, much harder. Uh, it says here more than 41% of all American workers made less than 30000 last year. 41%. So you think about that. What does that mean for their productivity? What does it mean for what they actually do, what they actually produce? More than 52% of all American workers made less than $40,000 last year. I guess at $40,000, you have a two-parent household, you can start to put something together in much of the country at $80,000 total a year. And more than 62% of all American workers made less than $50,000 last year. More than 62% of all American workers made less than $50,000 last year. Uh, this person says, I really shouldn't say this publicly, but New Hampshire is really the best place to live. It's not even close. Plenty of high-paying employment, affordable housing, and no crime. Yeah, they've got a lot going for them up there. The only problem is the winters, but, um, you know, if you can tolerate cold uh, and snow and stuff, then uh, it's a great place. Great place uh, as far as all that. You're close to Boston. You can commute into Boston, work in Boston uh, in much of the state of New Hampshire. You have a lot of... There's something in New Hampshire concerning banking regulations. I remember walking down a street in New Hampshire before. Um, and uh, where was I in New Hampshire? I was in uh, wherever the, I was in the, the, the main area where the primaries, all the media were for the New Hampshire primary in uh, 2020. And it's like a hundred banks on one street, like way too many banks, banks you've never heard of. And I said, oh, they must have some banking regulation deal here in New Hampshire because there was just an incredible different number of banks. So, you know, all these numbers are are what they are, and yet prices are up. Now, when it comes to the employment market, there is this um, there's this phenomenon that's been going around um, that I want to uh, bring to you here. Now, you see these videos a lot uh, on on Twitter that make their way over from uh, TikTok, and I just want to I want to show one to you here um, to see. Let's see, do I have it here loaded up? I'm going to show it, show it to you here, and um, it will give you an idea for uh, you know what's happening in the workplace at some level. But I I kind of want to debunk some of what is being said about these kind of videos. Okay, so here's here's something I want to show you here. One moment. Staying alive as a 23-year-old product manager at Meta, I always journal in the morning. I then do a quick workout routine. I get dressed. I try to look cute every day. Got some food at the office. I make a coffee every single morning. I need that. I did some work on the roof, worked until lunch, and then ate up there. Here's me being cute. I got a snack always. I then shuttled home. The view's so pretty. Met up with some friends for dinner, and then my boyfriend came over and was acting like a DJ for my dog. You see this, and, and people say, Do, does Gen Z actually work? Does Gen Z actually work? Do they work? What's going on? And... Uh, no, they work. I mean, th these videos are, you know, kind of, first of all, you could have these actual employers uh, having these people put these out so that they get more applications. That could be one thing. 
Um, the other part is though that uh, these people are, are 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 trying to show something interesting of their day. These are the parts of their day that they find interesting. You have to remember these these kind of entry level or mid level even Gen Z employees that are working at a company like Facebook, Meta, um, or LinkedIn. I saw another one like this. The actual work that they do during the day oftentimes is not terribly exciting work. It's not very interesting, let's say. They're dealing with, and, and it doesn't mean it's not important, but it's just not, you wouldn't find it interesting or enthralling to see. It's an Excel spreadsheet, it's data, it's uh, preparing this or that presentation or, or uh, going through that data or inputting this data or deciphering the other data. It, it's, it's very um, uh, sort of meticulous, tedious work. Naturally, I mean, that's how a lot of those jobs are in the white collar world at an entry level. And so uh, it's something where, you know, what what you have is um, they're sharing the parts of their day that they think you would find interesting or maybe that they find interesting. And it's not that they're doing no work. I mean, that thing is 30 seconds long. She showed you five different things. If you put all those things together, they might take a whole hour. So the rest of the day is filled with something and it's filled with tedious work. And these people, I will tell you in fairness to them, they are working. They're working very hard. These are a lot of times kind of thankless jobs they have within these companies. Thankfully for them, they are somewhat well compensated a lot of times, uh, but that's what's really happening. They're working. They're working. Um, you know, they, they have stuff going on. Uh, they find busy work for these people to do. I mean, whether or not they need those people there to do the busy work, those people are tasked with doing the busy work and it's expected that it gets done. So uh, this person says that's every junior finance role. Um, you know, I, I would say here, um, uh, somebody says here you can get 20 acres in a nice house in Texas for 200K. Yes, but if you go there, how far are you going to have to drive to make 100K? Because I've seen these towns in Texas, and the average income is like $18,000 or something. They're endemically poor. Endemically poor. But guys, thanks so much. And really, I appreciate the support here. Uh, you don't know how much it means to me, really. I mean, between your donations, you can donate to the show, Cash App at Real Jacob Wall, or you can go to jacobwall.org slash podcast. That's jacobwall.org slash podcast. That's run on the Gumroad platform. They've been great to us with Predator DC. If you've never checked out Predator DC or you're watching this show for the first time, go check it out. We've done a lot of great work over there on that show, uh, busting a lot of bad people, trying to do a lot of bad things to children. Uh, so you can go check that out. Uh, but thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for supporting the show, getting the links out there, helping us grow. It's been a wonderful time here on this show today. And we'll be back uh, right here live on Thursday at 2 p.m. Thanks so much. And I will see you then on The Jacob Wool Show.